Hey there, and welcome to another episode of Hack to Start, a podcast that focuses on amazing people who have an interesting story or perspective to share and their insights on how they got to the level of success they have today. This is episode 156, and today we'll be chatting with Tom Emmerich, a partner at SuperVentures and a co-producer of Augmented World Expo. After the release of the first feature film, Tom began to see how immersive new technologies would transform the world around us and began building his career in the space. He's consulted on how these technologies can improve the workplace and covered the industry for media publications like Canada AM, Read Write, Betakit, and more. Tom has also created and helped to foster communities around emerging technologies all over the world through groups like We Are Wearables, Augmented Reality Bay Meetup, and most recently, Augmented World Expo. He's also now investing with three other partners through SuperVentures, a $10 million fund that's helping to back startups building AR, VR, and wearable products worldwide. Tom joins us to share his story, how he started his career in tech, why he's so passionate about emerging technologies like AR, VR, and wearables, what motivated him to help launch SuperVentures, what he and his partners look for in their investments, how he approaches building communities around emerging technologies, and much more. So once again, we'd like to welcome you to the show. Feel free to tweet at us at Hack2Start, drop us an email, hey at hacktostart.com, or share your feedback right on iTunes with a review. Good or bad, we'd love to hear from you. Hey, Tom, thanks so much for being on the show today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Super excited to have you on the show to get, you know, to hear more about your story and all the cool stuff that you're doing in AR, VR with Super Ventures, outside of Super Ventures. Um, but before we dive into that, let's let's get to know a little bit more about yourself. Where are you from and, and what did you study? So I'm from uh, Kitchener, Waterloo, Ontario, which is home of Research in Motion or BlackBerry. And I studied actually um, English literature, but that was actually after a stint of musical theater. I wanted to get into uh, acting and singing, and I went to Sheridan College in Oakville for a while before I decided that I wanted to turn my love for acting and singing into something a little bit more serious and tried to find my way into um, advertising and marketing and thought that the way to finish my degree, to get a degree, would be English Lit. And so I went to University of Waterloo, which is not well known for English Lit, although they have an excellent English Lit program. They're very well known, as you know, for engineering and computer science, as perhaps maybe I should have taken <laughs> in retrospect. But I came out of there with an English Lit degree, and uh, that's my my kind of uh, university background. Amazing. So how did through, throughout the, the course of, of that, you know, very background in English lit, how did the passion for tech and entrepreneurship really develop? Well, I would say that I was always into tech. I mean, I grew up with Tandy in my house. My dad got us a computer very early on. Um, my father, I think, really inspired me to uh, have a love for technology and a love for tinkering. My dad would take a computer apart and put it back together. Um, I still can't do that. I find it amazing that he was able to make it work at the end of the day. But he would bring me, you know, to Future Shop to get the new Nintendo or Super Nintendo, grab a new game, go and rent computer games, if you remember doing that back in the day. Yeah the blockbuster <laughs> so i uh i always had a love for technology but more as i guess a consumer and uh i think it wasn't really until the feature phone came around that i started to really find 
a love for emerging technology in a way that I could see myself being involved from a career perspective. And maybe that's just because I was older. Uh, when the feature phone came out, especially ringtones and images um, and, you know, content, uh, text messaging, things that weren't just telephony, things that weren't just calling, it really opened my eyes to a whole new world. Uh, and that really inspired me to then jump into working with the first startup that I ever joined, which was in Toronto called MCube, that uh, had a platform that serviced ringtones and wallpapers and SMS marketing. And that was my foray from, uh, you know, the background that I had in studying English Lit and various jobs in executive administration and uh, also desktop publishing to then starting to work within the tech sector. Yeah, that's really incredible. And so how did you, I guess, transition from from those, those early days into, I guess, writing and reporting for some pretty major media outlets? And then secondly, into wearables AR and sort of the, the new age tech space, I guess, that, that you're currently in? As I mentioned, I was working in ringtones, uh, wallpapers, SMS. You have to understand back then, that was the wearables. That was the augmented reality and virtual reality of the time. It really was a disruptive emerging technology. And so that's really where I got hooked. And, and I, I've continued to chase that emerging tech curve ever since that startup in Toronto. After that startup got acquired, I moved on to become a product manager in a number of media organizations in charge of making decisions around the use of emerging mediums like uh, the iPad, uh, which was disrupting paper, like e-readers, uh, mobile smartphone applications, and actually back in 2005, even augmented reality, uh, the beginning stages of augmented reality as it related to bringing paper alive, if you recall. Uh, so after being exposed to both the startup space as well as uh, more of a corporate stint within emerging tech, I started just to write a blog because I had a thesis around this future that I was seeing that at the time, uh, because of the iPad, because of smart TVs, the smartphone, I really believed that the future was going to be all screens. And I thought that you know, the floor was going to be a screen, our fridge a screen, our, our cabinets and our bed even a screen <laughs> in some way, foldable, you know, malleable screens. And that technology would be all around us. And I started a blog on Tumblr called Screen Geek. It was a horrible name. People thought I was writing about TV. <laughs> and, and that's kind of where I started my writing about technology. And through the course of writing for Screen Geek about this future of screens, I stumbled upon nanotechnology and the Internet of Things, robotics, autonomous vehicles, virtual reality, augmented reality, wearable technology. And I soon proved myself wrong that the future was not going to be screens. The future was screenless. And that's when I started to really put my attention on wearable technology and started writing about wearable technology, but mainly for myself. Mm -hmm. And so what is it about wearables and like, you know, IoT and some of the AR VR stuff that has you so excited? Or is it wearables in particular that you're most excited about? Yeah, it's kind of changed along the way. I mean, in the beginning, when I was writing for my blog on Tumblr, I was really writing about wearables in general, because I could almost count on my hands the number of wearables that were really in play with the consumer and even the enterprise space at the time. And the categories were, you know, very kind of gooey, uh, weren't as well defined as what we have now. And there wasn't as many startups that were actually focusing on it. And as I started to write for some of the major publications and 
cover and review these technologies over the course of uh, many years. I still do some writing as well now. Those categories have become much more defined and the ecosystem completely large. And there's no way that I can keep tabs on what's happening in every corner and nook of the wearable ecosystem. But I think what really gets me out of bed with wearable technology is how it is changing our relationship with ourselves. And all technology changes how we see the world. Uh, I see wearable technology as furthering our human evolution. I think it's going to reconnect us to ourselves by making us much more present, by making us much more reconnected to our bodies and understanding our bodies as a machine. I think wearables have the potential of connecting us to each other, whether it's as a huge network where we could be able to cure diseases by crowdsourcing our data or be able to know who the person is across from us by using a pair of smart glasses and bringing up information. And I even see a way where these technologies, especially augmented reality and virtual reality, which for me fall under the wearable umbrella, can even get us closer to God or, or a higher being by really playing around with our notions of humanity and reality and reconnecting us to more of a larger question as to why we're here and if this world is real entirely. So that's really the fundamental crux as to why I'm so excited about wearables. And there are a number of startups that are just in the beginning stages of showing us how these you know, large promises that I put forth are really going to come to fruition over the next couple of years. Since you've been covering the space for so long and just seen it go through different evolutions and we're, we're starting to get further into, I guess, the AR, VR kind of space with Oculus and AR kit, you know, coming out soon for iOS 11. What would have been some of the biggest changes or the most mind blowing changes that I guess you've seen, whether it, whether it be in a specific area or across wearables in general? Yeah, and I think we can definitely talk about wearables in specific categories. I mean, you can't really compare a fitness tracker to even a smartwatch, and very much so you can't compare a smartwatch to a head-mounted display or head-worn devices, although there are some overlapping use cases. But I think what I've noticed overall is that in the consumer space, things move slow. That's the big thing. We can get very excited about technology and emerging technology, and we can want Apple glasses tomorrow, but at the end of the day, the consumers, they move slowly. And so how I know that is because we're still seeing success of step counters four years later or so since I've been covering the space, five years even. Fitbit is still a dominant player. One of the main reasons why people love their smartwatches is because it tracks activity. And that's a that's a good thing. We, we need to ensure that the end user, the everyday user sees value in wearing these devices. And one of the major benefits of a wearable device is in monitoring our bodies, our machines, our bodies, they need to be monitored so that we can take care of them better. And the steps a really safe place. So it may not seem overly revolutionary because it's a step counter for lack of better words. Of course, they do more than that now. But that's one of the biggest aha moments that I've seen is that the consumer world moves slow. And there's a lot of market share to eat up and a lot of different segments of the market to slowly adopt these technologies. And that's why we're still seeing the step as a dominant value proposition for wearables in, in general, at least wrist-worn wearables. The second thing I would say is that, you know, the smartwatch was supposed to be this huge category, and it definitely has disrupted the watch category in general. But I've changed my viewpoint a little bit on smartwatches. I've worn a smartwatch ever since the Pebble. I love wearing my smartwatch. It's great. It gives me my notifications. It tracks my steps. Also, I can see different time zones all at one time because I can configure the watch face. But at the end of the day, I have not 
seen it really eat up my time with my smartphone. And I think it has a lot to do with the fact that this device does not have a contextual capability. The cognitive computing, the artificial intelligence is not there. And so the smartwatch space, although I do believe is successful in that it has really eaten up the market share for the dumb watch space, I don't think it really can eclipse and and break free into what it could potentially be unless it starts to work with a larger system, which is artificial intelligence. And also the smartwatch really points to the need to have additional devices paired with it in order to make it really successful. For example, I believe that we will see even more the interplay between AirPods and the Apple Watch and how the AirPods and the Apple Watch will strengthen the need for each other as AI continues to get stronger, as Siri continues to get smarter, therefore not really requiring us to have to carry on our mobile phone. And then once Apple glasses come, you know, we could use our smartwatch as a controller, our AirPods could be used for, you know, an audible experience. And maybe we have the glasses for a display, which is basically we're deconstructing the phone and putting it on our bodies, which is what wearables is all about. So um, the smartwatch space, you know, I think we've seen some success, but not as much as we had all had hoped because there are not the pieces in place for it to really thrive in the way that it needs to. And then of course, the last part of the wearable space that has really grown, especially since I've been looking at it, is the augmented and virtual reality world. And that has a lot to do with the fact that the big players have really aggressively placed bets behind these technologies as the new wave of computing. And we're seeing a lot of advancements be made available to developers, which is necessary for them to be able to create content. Uh, and of course, we're now seeing some hardware in the hands of even consumers in the case of virtual reality, uh, which which is a lot different than five years ago when everything was a Kickstarter project. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, you, you mentioned that, you know, it moves slowly in consumer. Are there other industries where you're seeing it move faster? Like, is it mostly like military or research kind of driven or is it just moving slowly kind of across the board? No, there's a lot of work happening in the enterprise. Of course, the military is a big driver of emerging technology just in general. In fact, it's funny, I was listening to a Facebook video of Tom Furness, who's considered the godfather of virtual reality, who 50 years ago created AR VR as a wearable cockpit in the military. And so a lot of these technologies come out of academia, that come out of military. Uh, so I would say that those areas are moving much faster than the consumer sphere. But where we're seeing a, a lot more aggressive movement, I think, especially in AR, VR, compared to maybe even the consumer spaces in the enterprise. Uh, so using these new technologies as tools for training and simulation or communication or just to provide much greater workplace efficiencies is what's happening, especially with AR, VR, smart glasses, HMDs. And I think that's to be expected because look back to the mobile world. In the beginning, the BlackBerry was a work tool and then it graduated eventually into the hands of the consumers mm. uh, and moved outside of the office. And so I think we're going to see the same pattern emerge with these new devices for the most part. Hmm, that's really interesting. I guess changing the way that, that we work and then, you know, permeating back into our personal lives to make to make that whole part of life better. Exactly. Well, and it comes down to ROI and cost, right, which is part of ROI. So in the enterprise, 
these devices like an HTC Vive or an Oculus Rift or Epson Moverio, we're talking still $1,500, $2,500, let's say yeah. on average. So for consumers, it's achievable, but it's really, really pricey. For the enterprise, it's not that much, especially when you can build a business case around it to show that you can save a life or save five minutes off each worker, um, et cetera, et cetera. And so in the business world, the devices and the technology, it's become miniaturized enough, it's become cost-effective enough for them to be able to build their business case and start rolling out pilots um, and even beyond pilots in, in some cases in, in different industry verticals. So I think we can definitely expect to start wearing smart helmets, smart glasses, gesture gloves, exoskeletons um, in the workplace and then find real value in the workplace with ourselves as well and say, hey, these pair of smart glasses are really making my job easier. And then that curiosity also takes hold within all of us where we start to think, huh, what if I use this at home to call grandma? Or what if I could use this to play tag with my kid or whatever it might be? It starts to plant a seed in the consumer side of all of us, which is also needed for adoption. Eventually, there will be brands that will go right at it from a consumer perspective. For example, like the iPhone, right? The iPhone was basically a consumer device, but it will be devices before that device that will really pave the way for it to be successful. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess kind of along the same the same evolution of the space, you've built several different events and groups kind of effectively connecting several parts of the global AR VR wearable communities with groups like, you know, Augmented World Expo, or We Are Wearables, where you do, you know, a ton of blogging and, and, and coverage there. But what is your approach to creating communities around these emerging types of technologies, especially over the past couple of years? And why are these types of communities so critical to early stage tech? So back about four and a half, five years ago when I started We Are Wearables, I started it because no one had access to the technology or not many people did. This was around the time when Google Glass were on the faces of select individuals yeah. that could afford it and also could apply. And if you recall in Canada, actually you weren't technically allowed to get a Google Glass. You needed to be in the United States. And so I was lucky enough to get my hands or I guess my head on with one of these devices. And I promised myself that since I I was, you know, one of the lucky few, I'm using air quotes, to get a pair of Google Glass that if anybody stopped me on the street, I would let them try it because I knew that they did not have access to it. And in my opinion, you really don't understand these new technologies until you try them. What What is a pair of smart glasses? What is virtual reality? What is augmented reality? What is a head mounted display? These are just words. This is like trying to describe a smartphone to your great grandmother. It's like there's no way you could be able to do that. There's no there's no point of reference. There's no context. Um, maybe there's a little bit more now because we're so more technologically inclined. Uh, but with Google Glass, I said, if someone stops me, I'm going to demonstrize this device by letting them put it on and then see if there's at least one thing that they're going to like about it. And inevitably, everyone really liked taking a picture without their hands from their point of view. That's what they loved about Google Glass. But what happened was I would walk down the streets of Toronto and then I would be stopped and stopped and stopped and I could never get to where I wanted to go. So I said, I'm going to create an event. I'm going to create an event where everyone can come and just try Google Glass on. And that's really how I started the meetup. Ironically, I was doing a piece for TVO on meetup culture, which introduced me to meetups. And uh, and so I went on meetup.com, I pressed go, and then I started We Are Wearables. Now, little did I know that I was really starting a community, I'll be honest. I thought I was creating an event, a place where people could come and try on tech. And actually, that's been true, you know, almost five years 
years later, that's what we continue to do. But as the first event attracted 200 people, as we're now approaching, you know, 8,500 members just in Toronto alone, as new chapters popped up in Chicago, Ottawa, Montreal, this quickly became a community. And it was really due to the fact that everybody that were joining We Are Wearables wanted to get to understand what this new wave of computing was about. They wanted to understand what is this tech and all of our events are oriented around what the tech is, but more importantly, what the value is to the consumer or what the value is to the enterprise to work. So really clarifying why, not just what, but why is this important? And then following that all up with giving the audience and the members an opportunity to interact with founders, investors, folks that are doing work locally, which is very important in this space, and then also get their hands on the tech so that they can go away and start getting their juices flowing on you know what they might be able to do either at home or at work with these devices. And that's why these are so critical to the ecosystem, especially nascent technologies. We need to get in a room. We need to give access to these technologies. We need to have great discussions. We need to brainstorm. We need to voice our concerns. And there's no better place to do that than in an event form. Yeah, absolutely. That's really cool. And so, I mean, this whole background is sort of in preparation and has led you to doing your own thing now called Super Ventures, where you're a partner. So can you tell us a bit more about Super Ventures and what really motivated you to help launch that? So during the course of We Are Wearables, I met this phenomenal individual who is now my partner in crime, Ori Imbar, who for the past eight years has been developing communities around augmented reality. And augmented reality and wearable technology, of course, go hand in hand. They're technologies that are head-worn in the most futuristic state, but you don't really need a wearable for augmented reality. You can, as we're seeing, use your iPhone, which is what Apple's doing with ARKit. So he called me up and we had a great chat. And long story short, short, we ended up deciding that we would work together and I would join the AWE or Augmented World Expo team. And I've been co-producing AWE for the past four years now and have been working with Ori to bring that to Europe and China. Through that time of uh, helping to foster and, and nurture an AR ecosystem, as I was doing so in the wearables ecosystem, Ori uh, and I talked about setting up this fund where we would then be able to invest seed capital into startups that are developing fundamental building blocks in augmented reality. So not just now providing a platform to showcase thought leadership and startups and provide a community that really helps support and gives confidence to the startup entrepreneurs in augmented reality through AWE, but now raising money and actually putting seed capital into select companies that we think are really going to create the necessary puzzle pieces to get us to this future state. And that's what we did with Super Ventures. So back in January of last year in 2016, uh, we joined forces with two other partners that have also been working in AR and VR and wearables for a number of years. Between the four of us, we have 36 years combined experiences. And we began this fund called Super Ventures. And it's a $10 million fund that is focused on early stage startups anywhere around the world. In fact, we have many different investments from Canada, Israel, UK, US, say. And we called it Super Ventures because we believe that AR and VR, which are uh, obviously kind of two sides of the same coin, are giving people superpowers. Wearables in general give people superpowers. And so this notion of superpowers to the people or startups that are using superpowers to change the world inspired the name Super Ventures. It's really cool and incredible to hear about. So what is it like, I guess, starting a brand new fund in a industry with emerging technologies? 
I think it's been very exciting. I mean, the good news was is around the time that we started the fund, there were a couple of other VR specific funds that had popped up in similar size, which really strengthened you know, our decision to get into the space and also created a nice co-investing environment, which is necessary for startups in this space to succeed and for funds to succeed. We, right from the get-go, took an augmented reality approach just based on our combined experience within the space. But what's great about being a early stage investor in a nascent technology uh, is that you're able to find companies that are really building this new wave of computing and able to not just put a check behind them to allow for them to do what they have set forth to accomplish, but also, and this is important for all four of the partners at SuperVentures, really get your hands dirty in the way of being able to provide advice and counsel and help shape the startup in providing them with the guidance that they may need based on our experience, whether that's the experience that we've had with our own AR startups or in the experience that we've had and just seeing a whack load of startups and organizations within the space over the course of the many years that we've been running events and, and building a community. Yeah, absolutely. And so why did you guys decide to, you know, one with the with the Augmented World Expo, but also with Super Ventures, like why did you guys decide to take it, you know, beyond North America, beyond San Francisco into Europe and China? What is it about those markets that are particularly interesting? Well, I think right now, if you are a tech startup, you should always think global and you need to understand where different market opportunities are. And especially for AR and VR, there are a tremendous amount of opportunities within the China market, uh, mainly because of scale, but also because of the fact that there are a number of government agencies, large organizations and uh, funds that are really focused on this technology in particular. For us, from an AWE perspective, you know, we have been approached by many different cities around the world for AWE, as I have for We Are Wearables. And we identified China and Europe as two main pockets of, of innovation, um, not just where the market opportunity is, but also where um, the concentration of startups are and organizations that are working in this space, which are very conducive ingredients to creating a very successful event in attracting speakers and exhibitors. Absolutely. It sounds really, really interesting. And so I guess as you kind of expand into those markets where, where you know, opportunity exists, what do you look for in the different startups when you're deciding to invest uh, in, in one of these companies? So we have six areas of investment that we focus on. The first area of investment for augmented reality is in bionic vision. And so this is really in being able to create display for the face. So advancements in light field, retina projection, photorealistic rendering, adjustable focus, natural virgins and accommodation, all of the kind of big problems that need to be solved in order to allow for 3D holograms, for lack of a better word, to look real as you look through the pair of glasses in order for the glasses to be, you know, small, miniature, lightweight, um, have enough battery, be disconnected from wires. There's a lot of work still to be done to make these head-worn devices actually wearable. And also there are opportunities within this bionic vision to uh, enhance the haptics as well as the multi-sensor fusion and audio areas within the experience for the user. The second is that we take a look at natural input 
and output and interaction. And so this has a lot to do with bringing the rest of the body into the mix because augmented reality is not just your eyes. It starts with your eyes perhaps, but as we begin to see an elephant in the room, we're gonna want to smell it, we're gonna wanna hear it, we're gonna wanna be able to touch it. And so taking a look at new inputs such as eye tracking, gesture recognition, the use of voice, as well as the use of various controllers, gloves, um, and even being able to tap into our own biosensing, which is where a lot of wearables come into, like emotional measurement, um, reactions, things of that sort, uh, really come into play within this bucket. And then we take a look at things like, how do we 3Dify the real world? How do we make the world uh, copied and put into this augmented world. So scanning and capturing and tracking and mapping is kind of all of the startup solutions that we look for within this bucket. And that continues into what we call world building, which is what are the tools that developers and content creators would need in order to be able to create this augmented reality, in order to create virtual reality. So content creation and authoring tools, but also tools to measure and optimize the experience and give a great overall user experience for the consumer are really important solutions that we're taking a look at. And then we take a look at kind of two additional areas that are a little bit more tactical. One, we're very interested in telepresence and communication. So the furthering of communication with AR and VR, and then what we call super intelligence, which is the use of AR and VR and wearable tech to make people smarter or make them more capable than they were as just a regular human, especially as it relates to work. So those are kind of the six main areas that we're currently really putting our efforts around when it comes to our investment thesis for Super Ventures. Sounds like some really exciting, uh, really exciting spaces and really exciting technology. It just sounds so cool to talk about. I can't wait to see it all come together, I guess. Me too. <laughs> so what's next for Super Ventures? I mean, you guys just launched it, you know, a little over a year and a half ago. Uh, what, what's next on the horizon for you guys? Yeah, so Super Ventures, we're going to continue to make investments in fundamental building blocks since our launch. We've invested in eight companies ranging from computer vision platforms to 3D analytic platforms like Cognitive VR from Vancouver. We just did a great deal with a Toronto-based startup called Quantum Capture that is developing a platform to create real-time virtual humans. So I would definitely expect to see some really great startups in our portfolio that are, again, building these puzzle pieces that are necessary for the developer community and, and all of the AR, VR platforms to sit on in order to be successful. And of course, we're the producing um, organization behind uh, Augmented World Expo. And so we have dates coming up in, in Europe and in China and already planning for USA. And Ori Imbar, who again is my partner, made a recent announcement at AWE as to launch the AWE XR program, which means that now independent organizers who want to have an augmented reality or virtual reality event in their local area can work with us and the AWE brand to bring that event to fruition in their local geographic region. And so we have a couple of hands already raised across the world for those to, to be greenlit as well. So a lot of activity from a super ventures perspective on the investment side, and then on the AWE side, uh, continuing to grow the community and run some really fantastic events. Wow, that's really exciting. Congrats all around. Thanks. So th I guess throughout all the, you know, amazing things you've been able to be a part of and, and help create and, and spark, you know, interest in new technologies, what have been some of the most memorable moments of your career to date? 
I think there's a lot of them, but one of the most memorable We Are Wearable stories that I have is in having a startup founder return three years later to be on stage to present their wearable solution and having them on stage tell their story on how their team were assembled at one of the original We Are Wearables events uh, wow. three before. And so I think it's it's those moments when I hear that someone, you know, met an investor or got covered or met a founder or got the idea that they were going to get involved within the wearable space from an event that I put together that makes it all worthwhile. And that's the case for AWE as well. Just hearing all of the companies and their feedback on how the event really helped move the needle within their industry, how they found a strategic partner, how they were able to get covered in TechCrunch or in Gadget or many other major media publications. And really, at the end of the day, these events are there to facilitate business, to help grow the industry. And so all that feedback really is great fuel to help me and, and, and my partners continue in, in running the community. Uh, and I think those would be the most memorable moments in, in that side of the fence from my career. Yeah, absolutely. But what are some of the most, I guess, recent apps or software, hardware gadgets that you've had a chance to play around with? There are so many, I would say, but I would put up there virtual reality experiences that are what some people are calling hyper reality or 4D. So this means wearing haptic suits, haptic gloves, maybe a motion capture uh, setup that allows for you to walk around with VR in a backpack. Uh, so essentially giving you the freedom to walk around in a virtual world with many more of your human qualities put to work with much more of your body put into the experience. And so this would be experiences brought to you by The Void, which is a startup out of Utah, which actually just recently launched an experience in Toronto for Ghostbusters that has also been set up in New York. Uh, but Globacore, which is a company out of Toronto, they also put together a really engaging experience at AWE USA in a similar fashion where they used OptiTrack mocap setup to be allowing the audience to walk around in really engaging virtual reality experiences in a multiplayer kind of social setting where they could be in VR with three other people, see those three other people and interact with one another. Hmm. And I think that's really inspiring and it's really engaging. And it's also something you can't do at home, right, with your Oculus or your HTC. And then I've had some really fantastic experiences, especially with Lightfield when it comes to augmented reality and seeing the future of um, display and how crisp and clear and how much more akin to our natural eyesight we can create and facilitate through really advanced optics and displays, which make me excited about what's going to happen in the future. Yeah, absolutely. It's really cool. And so do you have any last thoughts or personal mottos or just advice that you would give to other people who are looking to pursue, you know, these types of new technologies or build companies inside these new industries? Uh, any any last words for, for that? Yeah, I think my my personal motto is in really understanding your ability to create and understanding that you're more in control of this world than you think. Again, that goes back to why I love augmented reality and virtual reality so much. These new realities are really going to equip everybody with the understanding that they have the ability to wield the world around them, to create new worlds, to destroy worlds and, and recreate them the next day. And I think carrying that sentiment, carrying that feeling 
and bringing that to this real world, if this is what we want to call it, and knowing that if you want to do something, you really do have the power to make it happen, as long as you put the effort into it, is one piece of advice I'd give anybody. And I know that because it's happened to me. Absolutely. Couldn't think of a better way to end the episode. Uh, Tom, thanks so much for taking the time to speak with us today. It was awesome to have you on the show. Thank you so much. Take care. Well, that's another episode of Hack to Start. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again soon. Remember to check us out on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, as well as on the web at hacktostart.com. We honestly couldn't do this show without your awesome support. So if you like what you heard, feel free to share it on Twitter or leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks again, and until next week.